We have a special birthday today on the platform. He's hiding. Let's sing. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday to you today. Happy birthday to you. And I, I knew there'd probably be something. <laughs> well, thank you. Do you have your Bibles with you? Yes, or a device that you can log into a Bible. Hey, I don't know if you've noticed, but um, this is an important book here, and so I encourage you to bring your Bible every week because uh, we're going to talk about it. And uh, it's one of my very favorite things to do. And um, we're, in, we're in a series. Actually, it's going to take us almost to Thanksgiving on the book of Daniel. Um, now, there's a couple weeks where we'll be uh, off subject. Next week, uh, I'll be gone. Pastor Trent will be opening the Word for you again, and he's going to talk about one of these Psalms of Ascent. Uh, I'm sure it'll be good. Uh, and then the week after that, we have Jay and Tiana Sunberg, who are missionaries uh, with our denomination, and they're, they will be here to share a part of their journey. Uh, you don't want to miss that one. That'd be fantastic. Um, and then, the, I guess I only get to preach one time in August, because the, the 27th then, I'd take my girls off to college. So uh, then we'll be back for the duration, and then, you know, we'll really get after it. So if you have your Bibles, Daniel chapter 2 is where we are today. Last week, I started the chapter, and I had told you there were kind of three points that... Uh, I wanted to make, and I was, we talked about two of them last week, which leaves one for this morning. So, probably a little review of chapter two would be good for us at the beginning part. At the beginning, we were introduced to this uh, scenario. King Nebuchadnezzar has, he's had a dream, and Apparently, it wasn't a good dream. You'd put it in the nightmare category, actually. And the text is kind of ambiguous. It doesn't tell us if he just flat out forgot the dream or if he was uh, trying to test all of the wise men in his realm. Now, one of the... It would be like the king's cabinet. He would, there's enchanters and sorcerers and astrologers and Chaldeans and... And they all fit into this general category of wise person, smart people. So when the king would have a dream or he would need something interpreted or advice or something, he would gather these people and they would give him information that he needed. Um, so he's had a dream. I think he forgot it. I think he, you know, it was one of those where you're kind of half between being unconscious and half between awake and and you have a dream, and then you'll wake up, and you won't remember it, and then you'll fall back to sleep, and you have the same dream again. I think it was one of those. So he gathers the smart people, and he says, you need to tell me what my dream was about. You need to interpret it for me. And they said, okay, tell us the dream, king, and we'll tell you what it means. 
He said, well, not this time. I can't, I can't tell you what the dream is. Well, okay, king, tell us the dream, and then we'll interpret it. He says, no, you don't understand. Today, it works this way. You tell me my dream, and you tell me what my dream means, or I'm going to kill you. What a boss, huh? <clears throat> so they said nobody, no human, no person could do what you ask. Only the gods could, could do something like that. And you know what? The gods don't live among us, and they don't really care. They don't communicate with us like that. The, the pagan worshipers uh, acknowledged that their god was kind of impotent in the situation. Like, our gods got nothing for us here. So, the king says, fine, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to have all of the wise people in the land killed. And so he sends off his henchman, Arioch, to go round everybody up and execute them. And, and so Daniel and his friends from Jerusalem are living in Babylon now, and they have graduated from Babylon University, and so they are part of the king's cabinet. They are part of this group of wise men. And so Ariok comes and gathers them as well, and, and Daniel says, hey, time out. I'm, I'm not ready to call it quits on this life yet. Can, can you tell, us, tell me what's going on? Why such haste? Well, Ariok explains to Daniel the whole situation. The king had a dream. He doesn't know the dream. He wants the wise people to tell him the dream, one, and then two, interpret it for him. And, and um, Daniel, I don't know how long it took him, but he said, well, I can do that. And so if you remember last week, we, we identified that in this whole situation, uh, Daniel did, does three really important things. Uh, when Ariok came to execute him, he asked a question, and he put himself out there, you know? He, and the Bible says that he asked, not in an offensive way, not in a high and mighty way, but he asked in a diplomatic way, with wisdom and tact, prudence and discretion, those are the words that, that we had talked about. And that's an important thing for us to remember when we are asking questions of uh, with, uh, or of those whom, with which we oppose. So Daniel asks. That's an important thing. And so uh, Ariok tells him. Daniel says, um, okay. He went right straight into the king. Immediately. Ariok answers his question. He finds out what, what's going on. And, and Daniel says that he goes immediately into the throne room of the king. I mean, just barges in on... You don't just do that in those days. And it says he was, I mean, he lived, so he was obviously fairly well received, and he tells the king, hey, I can, I can do this for you. Um, let's set an appointment, I'll come back, and, and we'll talk about this. So Daniel leaves, he goes home, says, hey guys, put the potato chips down, we need to have a prayer meeting. And so they go to prayer. And the, the, third thing that, um, the third thing that Daniel does, where we'll spend most of our time this morning, is that he acknowledged God. He gave credit to God in um, private with his friends and in his prayer. 
and, and he acknowledged and gave credit to God in a very public way in the throne room of the king. So you have your Bibles open to Daniel chapter 2. I'm going to go ahead and have you stand with me, if you would, to honor the authority of the Word. And it's a little bit of an extended reading, but I'm going to start in verse 24, and we'll read through the end of the chapter. And here's how we pick up the story. Then Daniel went to Arioch, whom the king had appointed to execute the wise men of Babylon, and said to him, Do not execute the wise men of Babylon. Take me to the king, and I will interpret his dream for him. Arioch took Daniel to the king at once and said, I have found a man among the exiles from Judah who can tell the king what his dream means. We're not going to talk about this, but did you notice that Arioch totally takes credit? Hey, I found a guy who can answer your question. Uh, Braise my own stakes, you know, maybe it goes well. The king asked Daniel, also called Belteshazzar, are you able to tell me what I saw in my dream and interpret it? And Daniel said, no, wise man, enchanter, magician, or diviner can explain to the king the mystery he has asked about. So he starts off, he starts off by saying, no person, no human can do what you ask, even the trained ones. But, but there is a God in heaven who reveals mysteries. He has shown Nebuchadnezzar what will happen in days to come. Your dream and the visions that pass through your mind as you were lying in bed are these. As your majesty was lying there, your mind turned to things to come. And the revealer of mysteries showed you what is going to happen. As for me, this mystery has been revealed to me, not because I have greater wisdom than anybody else alive, but so that your majesty may know the interpretation and that you may understand what went through your mind. Your majesty looked, and there before you stood a large statue, an enormous, dazzling statue, awesome in appearance. The head of the statue was made of pure gold, its chest and arms of silver, its belly and thighs of bronze, its legs of iron, its feet partly of iron and partly of baked clay. While you were watching, a rock was cut out, but not by human hands. It struck the statue on its feet of iron and clay and smashed them. Then the iron, the clay, the bronze, the silver, and the gold were all broken into pieces and became like chaff on a threshing floor in the summer. The wind swept them away without leaving a trace, but the rock that struck the statue became a huge mountain and filled the whole earth. This was your dream, and now we will interpret it to the king. Your majesty... You are the king of kings. The God of heaven has given you dominion and power and might and glory. In your hands he has placed all mankind and the beasts of the field and the birds of the sky. Wherever they live, he has made you ruler over them all. You are the head of gold. After you, another kingdom will arise, inferior to yours. Next, a third kingdom, one of bronze, will rule over the whole earth. Finally, there will be a fourth kingdom, Strong as iron, for iron breaks and smashes everything. And as iron breaks things to pieces, so it will crush and break all the others. Just as you saw that the feet and toes were partly of baked clay and partly of iron, so this will be a divided kingdom. Yet it will have some of the strength of iron in it, 
even as you saw iron mixed with clay. As the toes were partly iron and partly clay, so this kingdom will be partly strong and partly brittle. And just as you saw the iron mixed with baked clay, so the people will be a mixture and will not remain united any more than iron mixes with clay. In the time of those kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom that will never be destroyed, nor will it be left to another people. It will crush all those kingdoms and bring them to an end, but it will itself endure forever. This is the meaning of the vision of the rock cut out of the mountain, but not by human hands, a rock that broke the iron, the bronze, the clay, the silver, and the gold to pieces. The great God has shown the king what will take place in the future. The dream is true, and its interpretation is trustworthy. Then King Nebuchadnezzar fell prostrate before Daniel and paid honor and ordered that an offering and incense be presented to him. The king said to Daniel, Surely your God is the God of gods and the Lord of kings and a revealer of mysteries, for you were able to reveal this mystery. Then the king placed Daniel in a high position and lavished many gifts on him. He made him ruler over the entire province of Babylon and placed him in charge of all its wise men. Moreover, at Daniel's request, the king appointed Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego administrators over the province of Babylon, while Daniel himself remained at the royal court. It's the word of God. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. Well, that is quite the dream sequence that we have going on there. Um, Daniel, if you heard in that story, acknowledged God in first, you know, in, in the prayer that was right before we started reading, he acknowledged God in private. He stepped out on a limb when he rushed into the king's court, said, I can do this for you. Maybe he bit off a little bit more than he could chew. In fact, I think he did. I think he knew it. I think that he knew that um, at that moment in time, he had absolutely nothing. He didn't know what the king had dreamt. But he acknowledged God, and he went to him, and he begged for mercy. He said, Lord, I have been traveling with you for years and years and years, and I have faith in our relationship, and I trust in you. And that's what I think motivated him to act motivated him to tell the king, I can, I can do this. And he goes and he begs God for mercy. God, you gotta, <laughs> you got to help me out. I kind of put myself in over my head. Um, uh, and if you don't, I'm probably going to die. But he had, he had walked with God for a long time, and he had a history, and so that he could act in faith, knowing that God would respond to him. Then he marches in to the king's court, and um, he bears witness to God. He doesn't take any of the credit. He said, but there is a God in heaven who can real, reveal these kinds of, of mysteries. He doesn't say, I can do it. He tells the king, no, I'm a messenger. God, God is the one who is responsible for all of this. And I think at the very outset that that's a really good lesson 
jot it down in your notes for us to remember is that as people of faith, as followers of God, you know, as, as find, those who find our identity in, in Christ, um, we need to credit God. We, we need to acknowledge Him in every facet of our life, not just in personal moments of prayer, but when it's maybe a little bit more of an unpopular thing to do to, um, to witness to people you interact with at school and your workplace, you know, out on the street and just in Walmart, where, wherever. It's, Im- it's important to remember that God asks us to acknowledge Him in private uh, and in public. And, and when we start to do that, when that becomes a practice in our life, there's, there's a few things that happen, or if there's a few things that I, I wanted to just point out to you and talk with you about this morning. Um, the first thing that I want us to remember is that God listens. God hears you when, when you cry out to Him. Uh, Daniel was confident that uh, God would hear his prayer and respond, uh, so he took this bold step before the king. Then he goes home to pray, and the thing about this is, you know, Daniel's not, and his friends aren't just sitting around the living room and tossing up Hail Marys, hoping that some greater force out there is going to, you know, pick up on it and hear and maybe choose to respond. No, Daniel, Daniel had faith that God listens and that God hears his cries. So he was confident in that. I, you know, I, I recall another story, you know, we talked about it here last summer or the summer before. Um, we talked through the story of Elijah. You recall that Elijah had a face-off between himself and the prophets of Baal at Mount Carmel. They're going to have a contest, which God is the God. And so, you know, they're going to set up these altars, and whichever God answers with fire was the one who would be deemed as the God. So, uh, the prophets of Baal are going to go first. Elijah says, go ahead, you can go first. And so, you know, they set up the altar, and they have their sacrifice on it, and, and they start praying and praying and chanting, and they're dancing around, and, you know, Baal hasn't responded. It gets up to about noon, and Elijah starts picking on him a little bit, taunting him a little bit. Hey, maybe you probably need to yell a little bit louder. Dance around a little bit more. Get his attention, because you know what? He might be on vacation. He's out there traveling his realm somewhere. Well, you know what? He... He could be lost in just deep thought. Or, the Bible says, he might be taking a nap. So you got to wake him up. And so, they, you know, they, Elijah rallies them, and then they, they start chanting louder and dancing harder, and, and, uh, and they're just praying for all they have. You know what? They don't have any confidence that Baal's going to respond. They're just throwing up prayers and hoping It's Elijah's turn, and he prays, and God answers immediately 
fire comes down and consumes the whole sacrifice, consumes all of the rock and all of the water that had been poured on top of that. Elijah was confident that his God, our God, is the one true God who will hear, who will listen. God, God listens to you. God, God hears you. I, I think about you remember when Moses, you know, God called Moses at the burning bush? And what started that whole story was the people had been taken into slavery in Egypt 400 years and were told that they groaned under their workload. They groaned in their slavery and they cried out to God for rescue. Exodus. Chapter 2 says that God heard their groaning. He heard their cries, and he wanted to do something about it. So here's Moses wandering around the wilderness, taking care of some sheep, and he sees a bush that's on fire, which probably wasn't a new thing for him. But what was new, what intrigued him, what piqued his curiosity was that the bush was on fire, but it wasn't being consumed. And so Moses like, hey, sheep, stop. I got to go see this bush. And as he came up to the bush, God tells him, hey, you're, you're on, take your shoes, take your sandals off, son. This is holy ground. And out of that conversation, God tells him, I've heard the cries of your people. Their groans have reached me, and I want to do something. God hears you when you call out to him. Sometimes, sometimes it may not seem that way. Sometimes maybe you feel like prayer is just words in the thin air, but I want to remind you that God hears you when something's going on. He, he is there and listening to you. And you may wonder, well, does God, is God still in the business of doing that? Because the examples you cited were, well, they're thousands of years old, and, you know, it's in, it's in a book. I had a friend, a colleague in ministry, and he was in a place, and he was tasked with dealing with a, with a situation that just you put in the messy category, like, there's not really a good outcome, but something has to be done. And so, as the leader, and, you know, he had gathered his, uh, the leadership team of his place of ministry, and they all agreed, we got to do something about it. And they agreed upon a course of action, and, and my friend was the one tasked with, with executing the plan. And... As he's executing the plan, the support structure around him disappeared, vanished. Everybody says, you go do this, and <laughs> we're going to be about this close. You're kind of on your own to make it happen. Just hung out there to dry. A matter that, you know, is very sensitive in nature one where ethically and legally you can't actually explain your actions publicly. 
But the other side, you know, they can talk all they want. And you can't defend yourself. He, he was so wounded in that. It kind of puts you into a little bit of a tailspin. Crying out to God, groaning. God, you, you put me in this place. You asked me to, to minister to these people. And, you know, are, are you here? I, I imagine some doubt creeped in. Do you listen? Can, can you hear me? He got a phone call just out of the blue one day. He's sitting in his chair. People that had absolutely zero connection with anything that was going on said, um, are you home? Yes. I picked up the phone. <laughs> um, well, we're going to come by. We're bringing us some soup and a message. On a dreary day, I mean, you gotta, you got to love soup, right? They showed up. And in the course of the conversation, they had, they had written it down. Like, we, get, we need to read this to you. It detailed out, I mean, very vivid things that they would have absolutely no way of knowing. They had written out about what had happened, what had transpired, how it was dealt with. Um, and the message to my friend was that God heard me. He listens to you. Sometimes I think that we get into a pattern where we, we might acknowledge, oh yeah, God listens. But deep down inside, there's some part of us that doubts that and wonders about it. Does, when I pray, when I'm going through something really tough, does God even hear? Does He even care? You have the confidence to go before a God who listens and who cares. This is the God that Daniel prays to in this situation. He knows. He has faith that God will respond to him. And so with this reassurance, um, Daniel, he got up from that prayer meeting. God had revealed the vision to him while he was asleep. And he goes back to Arioch. And there's this little interesting, you know, when you compare two verses in the text, if you look at, at verse 15, that's when when uh, Arioch had come to execute Daniel the first time, and it says that Daniel asked, hey, what's going on? Uh, but now we're in verse 24, and Daniel now goes to Arioch, and he tells. So first he asks, and now he's in a position of confidence. God has answered me. He has he has given me a picture of the king's dream. I understand what the interpretation of it is. And so I'm going to go back to Arioch and say, hey, don't go on your killing spree quite yet. Let's back that truck up. And I need you to get me an appointment with the king because I know his dream and I can interpret it for him. 
So now, Daniel is acting out of the confidence of, of this revelation. So he enters into the throne room. He's before the king, and that can be a fairly uh, intimidating uh, place to be. Um, if you say the wrong thing, if the king thinks that it was inappropriate uh, or factually incorrect, you know, it's not just get out of my court. I mean, the king might just say, hey, take him out and execute him. I mean, that was just totally wrong. So Daniel's putting himself uh, at risk here before the king. And it kind of it increases the drama of the situation because he knows that part of this message that he's going to deliver to the king is not good news. Your regime is going to come to an end, sir. And yet, Daniel goes in, he's pretty confident, he's pretty poised, he's, he's calm, and so he approaches the king, and, and, um, and this is the moment. This is the moment where he gives credit to God. And he says, you know, king, nobody, nobody could do what you ask. And the king says, hey, can you interpret my dream? No, no person, no trained professional, no cabinet member can answer your question. But there is a God in heaven who can. So he's attaching what he's about to say and giving 100% credit to God, his source. He's, he's telling the king up front. He's, he's seeing a bigger picture for this realm. He's in his effort to be a witness. He's putting it out there that God is the source of power and wisdom and, and all of these things. So he says, um, he gets going. It's not from wisdom of humans. Can't give you what you seek. But, but there is a God in heaven who reveals mysteries. Then it seems like he's going to get into the dream. If you noticed in your text there about verse 29, he, he starts, but he says, as your majesty was lying there, your mind turned to things to come. I mean, that sounds like he's about to tell him, right? So I can see the king just, okay, tell me. I'm, I mean, just poised and ready because, you know, Daniel has set this up. Okay, it didn't come from me. It comes from God. And he says, as you were lying there. Okay, what, what's the dream? So then Daniel goes back and he says, um, that it, uh, and the revealer of mysteries showed you what is going to happen. So he circles back around. He gives not, he doesn't just give God credit in the king's throne room. He gives God credit twice before he gets to the message. I mean, he's really driving home this point of, it's not me, Neb, it's God who has revealed this to me. I think. You know, we, we notice this all over Scripture. One of the greeting card, postcard kind of texts that reminds us of this is Proverbs 3, 5, and a couple verses following. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge, there's that word, acknowledge Him, acknowledge God, give credit to Him, and He will make your paths straight do not be wise in your own eyes. See, the king had built his empire. The king had, 
had laid his foundation on a military strength, uh, human ingenuity, uh, pride, uh, you know, the ability to study things, and, and he had a magnificent kingdom. Um, but it's important for us to catch this, that our world puts a great deal of emphasis on human wisdom and ingenuity, and, and ki the king's confidence was totally wrapped up in his empire and his military strength and his, the people that he surrounded with uh, within, in his cabinet. And, and Daniel stands before this king, and, and he says, you know what, all of this, it doesn't really amount to much. <laughs> It doesn't matter. God is the source of all this wisdom and, and this power and, and all human strategies. You know, all of our political systems, our educational systems, all of our scientific discoveries, all of uh, our medical uh, knowledge and our financial strength and viability are all going to fail at some point. That's what Daniel is telling the king. All that's going to crumble. It's, it's all going to go away. That's not the source. That's not the foundation. And that's certainly not going to be able to reveal to you the mysteries that, that you're dreaming about. Daniel could have easily taken personal credit for all this. I mean, God has given him this nugget. Okay, here's the dream. Here's what it means. I mean, Daniel's neck is on the line. They've already come for his life once. He has this information. He could have used it to, for selfish gain. Hey, I have the answers, and so um, what are you going to bring to the table, king? You know, what, what's in it for me? Be like a big sports figure negotiating a new contract. What do you got? Uh, no, that's not, I need to be the highest paid wise man in the land. No, he doesn't do that. He credits his source. And he points the king to God who is, is the source, the originator of all of the wisdom and the power. And that leads us to the, to the second thing. God, God hears us. God responded to Daniel and and gave him Nebuchadnezzar's dream and, and what it means. And, uh, and it leads us into the second thing I want you to remember is that God reveals himself to you. He reveals his truth to you. He reveals his wisdom to you. And I mean, God reveals things to us in so many different ways. If you uh, were about to go on this big backpacking trip with the Boy Scouts starting tomorrow... And we're going to be out in the middle of a wilderness and on a mountain. And I don't know about you, but when I get away from things, God reveals himself to me through his creation. And generally speaking, God reveals things to all people. When we are out in God's creation, that is, a, that is one way that God reveals himself to humans is through his creation. You can hear the echoes of God and you can see God's finger, the fingerprints of God's creativity all over the place. So generally speaking, God reveals himself through creation. More specifically, God reveals himself uh, to us through his word and, and through Jesus. And, and as, we, um, as we read the scripture and as we uh, learn what it means to follow Jesus, the Holy Spirit just comes in and, and uh, you know, whispers in our ear and patiently guides us and 
and gently nudges us and convicts our hearts and, and helps us to know what it would mean to live kind of the uh, countercultural lifestyle and, 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 uh, and through God's revelation through Scripture and, and His Son Jesus and, and the nudging of the Holy Spirit, we can, He encourages our hearts and gives us the strength that, that when we face adversity in our world that we can, we can respond with integrity. And we can respond with faithfulness to what God, we sense God calling us to. And so, God had already revealed, He had revealed all this to the king, but the king didn't understand it. It freaked him out. He didn't, it scared him. And so, this was terribly unsettling for him because he didn't know what God was trying to tell him. But, but God had given him this dream, and now Daniel comes along and, and he can can unpack it and put it all together. And so, you know, this is, a, this is quite the dream. Uh, this king saw this great statue. I mean, it was enormous, huge, and uh, it was dazzling, and it totally got his attention, and uh, it was made of several different kinds of metal. And if you noticed, it started with gold, and, and each successive metal decreased in value. And so you start off, and we have this this head of gold, and then the, the chest and the, and the arms were all silver, and then the, the uh, torso and the thighs were bronze, and then you get down, and, and the, the statue had iron legs all the way down, and then the feet and toes were kind of this mixture between clay and iron. So an intriguing kind of a statue. It, it got his attention. And then in this dream, he sees this monstrosity, and then somewhere he sees this rock is cut out, but not by human hands, and this rock comes rolling into the picture, and it strikes the statue uh, on its feet, and it shatters the feet, and the thing topples over, and, and the whole statue just crumbles, and not just crumbles into large pieces, but disintegrates. And then this wind comes and it, it blows it all away. So there's no remnant of the statue. And all that's left is this, this rock, this stone that, was, that hit the statue. And, and the dream says that it begins, just begins to expand. And it just takes over and becomes, it covers the whole earth into this giant mountain. That's, that's the dream. So what does it mean? Well, Daniel tells him uh, that you are the head of gold. You are the king of kings. And, and um, God has blessed you. He has given you the power. All of your power is derivative from him. And um, after your kingdom is going to come another, but it's going to be inferior, and it will fall away. And then after that, another one will come, and it'll be also be inferior, and it'll fall away. And then this kingdom of iron is going to come in and... Um, and smash all the other ones, and then finally this rock comes in and takes it all away. I'm not going to spend a whole lot of time unpacking some of the symbolism that's in the text. Um, it, some of it will come up in later chapters of Daniel, so we'll save that part of the conversation for there. Um, for now, there are several uh, scholarly takes on, you know, the gold and the well, Daniel says, you are the gold, so it's Babylon. Um, the majority of scholars would, would say that uh, the gold head was, 
was Babylon, uh, and then the, the Medo-Persian Empire came in, and that would be the, the empire of silver, and then the Greeks came in, and that would be the empire of bronze, and then uh, the Roman Empire would come in after that and would, would represent the iron. Um, I think if we spend too much time trying to figure out what could be in that, it totally takes us away from the theology. It takes us away from, from Daniel's main point. And it, it doesn't matter who, it doesn't matter what uh, empire is represented, it doesn't matter how powerful it is or it isn't, the theology in the, of the vision remains the same, and that's the point that we can't miss. And God's kingdom will emerge in the midst of earthly kingdoms, and it will outlast them all. That's, that's the point. Human kingdoms will rise and fall, but God's kingdom will last forever. Uh, it's in your core guide this week to, to read Proverbs 16, 18. It's the one that says, pride goes before destruction and a haughty or arrogant spirit before a fall. And, and King Nebuchadnezzar's dream is a classic illustration of this particular verse. We build so much on our pride and our selfishness and our arrogance that we're setting ourselves up for this disaster that, that awaits us and, and the fall that is inevitably going to come. And so this dream that the king has, it's, a, it's your dream. It, it's my dream. It's, it's a human dream that the king has had, and, and Daniel is, is now interpreting it for him. Hey, you know what? You're building your platform on the totally wrong thing. You need to redirect your focus from the things that you do to what God is doing. Our dream. And the purpose for us is to help us shift our trust from what we are doing to what God is doing and what can do in our lives. Now, God reveals Himself to you. It may not be in, uh, through an exotic dream, kind of like this, but let me encourage you to. Go through life anticipating that God is going to reveal himself to you. Every day, every situation. How is God speaking to me right now? He's always trying to get our attention. He's trying to teach us things and show us things. And I want you to look for him. I want you to, to listen for his voice. And, and when you hear God and when, when he reveals himself to you, the one and only response that we can have is, is Nebuchadnezzar's response. I can imagine the incredulous look on his face that, that Daniel, this Jewish, probably teenage boy, knows what the king, what the emperor of the entire region, the, the entire empire, this, this one boy knows what the king dreams. That's got to be unsettling too. And Daniel had provided witness. He said, it's not me, it, it's God. And Nebuchadnezzar makes the connection. Daniel's witness was effective. And the king falls down before Daniel because he didn't know what else to do, and he acknowledged God as the God of God, the King of kings, the revealer of mysteries. I think the key question that we're confronted with is... Uh, in light of what God is definitely going to do, how should we live right now? And there's, there's two options. 
The first option is to go on and continue building our own kingdoms, conform to what the world preaches at us every day, pursue the world's definition of success. We can do all of those things. And we can try and get rich, we can try and be popular, we can try and get the most likes on our Facebook posts, you know, we can pursue all those kinds of things that the world is saying is, this is, this is where it's at. Or we can pursue option two, and that's to partner with God, um, to find our identity, not in ourselves, but find our identity in Christ. We can re- resist the, um, the seduction and the allure of, of the empire, which, which leads us to the third thing that I want you to jot down, and that God is building His kingdom. You saw that in the dream. God is building His kingdom, and He invites you to be a part of it today. God hears you. God reveals Himself to you. God is building a kingdom, and He invites you to be a part of it today. See, the dream ends with this rock just kind of rolling in. It's not cut by human hands, it, and it crushes the feet of the statue, and it shatters. And, and, and the one piece of information that we can interpret out of that whole dream, and this is absolutely critical that we get this piece right, the rock is Jesus Christ. He represents God's everlasting kingdom, the kingdom that is greater than anything else that we could ever imagine or build on our own. And so Daniel's Jewish audience would totally get the imagery. Uh, If we think about multiple places in Isaiah where he talks about the mountain, the holy mountain of God being there, and people stream to it, and it would be the place where people would go, and, and, and Isaiah makes, gives us this picture of God's kingdom as a mountain, and it would be a place of peace. And then we read through Psalms, and, and Psalm after Psalm after Psalm, we, we hear phrases like, God is my rock. He is my strength. He is my fortress. And so the the Jewish folk would have gotten the imagery. Oh, yeah, the the stone that grew into this big mountain is is God's kingdom. What they weren't expecting was that it would all begin with a little pebble that would show up in a backwater town of Bethlehem to a peasant couple in the form of a human infant. They were expecting something grand and glorious. They were expecting a kingdom-crushing boulder to come in and take it all out, a military hero, somebody, you know, just a, a leader a military with military might and strength, and he would come in and kick out the Romans and, and would set up shop and rule the world with righteousness. They weren't expecting that the kingdom would come in and slowly expand out of a mustard seed. So they missed it. God's kingdom did break into this world through Jesus. And through his death and resurrection, he he shattered the power of the reigning prince. And before he returned to heaven... He told his disciples, he announced to everybody that he had been given all authority. But the earth-filling growth of this rock might be slower than they imagined. It's 
one life, one person at a time. God hears you. God reveals himself to you. One day, God is going to come rolling into your life like a bowling ball. And your kingdom, if you choose to continue building it on your own, is going to topple. The king's dream is every bit as relevant today as it was back then, because it's a human dream. And God's kingdom will roll in, and it will topple those kingdoms that resist but you can make the choice to lower your guard. You can make the choice to follow him on your own. You can make the choice to start building the kingdom with God. Real quick, Peter and the disciples, you know, they, were, they had other careers. They were fishermen, many of them. And Jesus comes strolling down the beach. Hey, guys, um, you know, just leave all that there. Come follow me. I want to make you fishers of people. What? Leave, leave everything we've built, our career, our livelihood? You, you want us to leave our kingdom over here and just, where are we going? Well, just come follow me. That's the instructions that they got. We're going to fish for people. Well, what does that mean? That sounds a little weird. But they do. They, they, they made the choice in that moment to let their earthly kingdoms go and follow this persuasive itinerant preacher. And they get to a point, and Peter, uh, Jesus asks the questions of the disciples, who, who do people say I am? Well, this person or that person, John the Baptist or Elijah. Some say Elijah. Some say John the Baptist, back from the dead. Well, who do you say I am? Peter, he said, you are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. And Jesus says, yes. If you remember that story, it's Matthew 16. If you want to jot that down and look it up later. In Jesus' response to Peter's profession of faith there, he says, you did not get that information from flesh and blood. That was a divine revelation to you. That's how it comes to us as well. God makes himself known in your life. He hears you when you cry. He reveals himself to you. And then when he does, there's, there's the choice that we are confronted with. Are we just going to say, ah, I don't get it. I don't buy it. I don't think that's for me. And continue building what we're doing, or will we step into what he has going on? Later in Peter's life, he, he wrote a letter. And, and uh, 1 Peter chapter 2 he talks about those who acknowledge Jesus as the rock, as their Savior, and, and he says that um, when we acknowledge Jesus as our Savior, we become living stones that Jesus uses to be, build a spiritual house, that if you imagine us becoming part of this rock that comes in and topples the earthly kingdoms, uh, we become part of this, we, we add our rocks to this mountain, and it, and it, and it grows. That's how God's kingdom enters in. You can stop building your own empire and you can give your life to Jesus. This revelation is certain. It's going to happen. Its interpretation is trustworthy. 
It's really just up to you. It's really up to you. People of God said, Amen.